You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Hey, let's give it up for Team IM coming to the West Side today. They killed it. Really encouraging. I know, uh, you know, we come to church to worship it's more than just getting a good lesson. I hope you get a good lesson. I'm about to preach a lesson. But it's more than that. It's about the experience. It's about worshiping and, and really connecting with God more than just with our mind, but emotionally. And having an experience. And they really provided that. Uh, thank you guys so much. It was great to see the stage is filled with singers. Uh, what, what an awesome uh, visual, too, of just God's family across the globe. And so I'm so grateful uh, for what they've done and just being a part of the West Side Church. Amen? Amen. Let's go to God in prayer uh, before we uh, study God's Word together. Father in Heaven, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much for speaking to us through uh, the songs through the sharing, through uh, the testimonies. And God, I know your word, it speaks powerfully to us as we study it. We pray you'll open our minds. Uh, we pray your presence is felt. Lord, we want to honor you with our life. We want to honor you with everything we do. Uh, we want to understand you. And we want to understand your plan for our life. We know that uh, you are working in our individual lives. Uh, God, I really pray right now that you will be with this time uh, with these words, and we ask in Jesus' name, Amen. All right. Well, we're in a series uh, about the Book of Exodus. Um, we covered last week. The title of it was called "From Captivity to Covenant," and we talked a lot about our own church's uh, sort of covenant and vision for our church. And we're going to dig into Exodus. So take out your Bibles again, take out your phones, and scroll on down if you have the church app. Uh, you can go on there. The, they're going to have some of the, the themes and the actual points for today's sermon will be on the little app. If you don't have the app, ask somebody about it and you can download it later. Uh, I definitely want you to have that. But if not, please just turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2. And that's what we're going to read today. The title of today's sermon is The Calling, part 1. And we're going to look at how God calls Moses for his great work to deliver an entire nation. And we know that, that Moses is a, is a foreshadowing uh, figure of Jesus. Jesus, of course, came to deliver us from a, a life of emptiness and from sin and from confusion and from the life that Nedra so passionately shared that Jesus delivered her from. Amen. And so we're going to see Moses, his life as it starts. Uh, it's incredible, the parallels between him and Jesus. Uh, but we want to study this together and let the Bible begin to teach us deeply from the book of Exodus. If you haven't been reading it, I want to urge you to start reading through chapter after chapter of Exodus. Have your times uh, with the Lord in the book of Exodus over the coming months. We really want to let the Bible teach us. As a congregation, we are interested in a vision, the West Side vision. And we want to be a ministry where when you gather here with the West Side, you will grow spiritually and you will be a part of a fellowship that is growing all around the West Side of Los Angeles, the Southwest United States and the world. Amen. So let me see. Uh, James, we got that thing fast forwarding again accidentally, don't we? All right. Well, let's back it up a little bit here. Can we back it up? No. Okay. 
Oh, sorry. Okay, our PowerPoint is having struggles, but James is going to fix it. Thank you very much. The West Side Vision, let me talk a little bit about it. The West Side Vision has to do with you growing personally. Because if we're going to grow and be transformed as a congregation, we're going to need to grow and transform individually so that the congregation can grow and transform. I read a book uh, some time ago called How People Grow, and I was talking with Todd. He mentioned it uh, by Cloud and Townsend. So I, I referenced it this week. I, I went through it again, and I was trying to figure out, okay, how do people actually grow? How are we going to be a congregation where you actually grow spiritually? You're not stuck. And he hit a lot of different things in there. Um, there's a lot to God. Ultimately, we know God makes things grow. Right. You plant a seed in the ground. It doesn't grow by our great wisdom, but by the power, the infinite power of God. You know, babies are born out of the infinite power of God. You will grow spiritually by God's power. But he does use people in the process. Right. He uses training and mentoring and discipling. And this week I was talking to Steve and Jackie, the couple that helped mentor Carrie and I about what we need to grow in. And I was talking to Carrie. Hey, what what do you think I need to grow in? And uh, she was mentioning, well, I, I want you to grow in overcoming your anxiety, overcoming worries. And and I was like, OK, OK, I can work on that. I, that doesn't hurt. That doesn't discourage me. I can get better at being a man of great faith. I, I don't want you to be anxious because you feel the anxiety inside of me. And it's a little bit of part of my DNA. I'm an achiever and I'm always thinking about things. And I don't know. Lately, I've been waking up late at night thinking about all the things in the church that I want to see do do better or improve. And uh, so I had a little anxiety and I was like, all right, I had to commit. So the first point I'm going to preach today, you're going to see it's kind of a point I'm preaching to myself, but I think it's going to help you, too. Amen. So the West Side vision is to grow. Uh, you're going to grow also through study of the word. The reason we want to go through the Bible, I do believe God's word will transform you. Uh, God's word is powerful. It's real. It can change your thinking. It can change your heart and it can change your whole life if you let it sink in. Amen. Let's begin to read now in Exodus chapter two. Verse one it says now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman and she became a she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of water. So this is a classic story of the birth uh, and and the the providence of God saving uh, Moses. 
through a miracle, really. And now, we didn't read it, but the last verse of chapter 1 mentioned that the Pharaoh had said, throw all the male children, all the new babies that are born that are male, into the Nile. Because the Pharaoh was afraid of the Israelite nation, the Hebrews, growing to such a vast number that they might rebel. And and he was worried about the political effects, so political issues. And that was a dangerous time. Interestingly, if you know the New Testament, in the time of Jesus' birth, uh, King Herod had also given out the decree to kill any child, two year, male children, two years and down. So you can see the parallel there a little bit between Jesus and Moses. So he was born in a time of darkness and great despair. You can imagine uh, living in fear if you're pregnant, knowing that when your child is born, it's not just... It wasn't just the mom, it was going to be the entire nation was living in oppression and fear. Uh, his sister, uh, the, the dads, the moms, there, there was a great despair. You can imagine the darkness. I mean, this is, this is dark. Pharaoh is certainly, and we, we watched this last week in the video, he's the worst character in the Bible up, up to this point, no question. But we find here an incredible story of faith and God's sovereignty being revealed. God is working behind the scenes... Because he has a plan to deliver this entire nation. And he begins with the birth of this child. And, you know, the scripture reads that he was a beautiful child. Now, don't you think all moms probably thought their kids were beautiful? I do think that every, every mom thinks their kid is a fine child, a beautiful child. But in the Hebrew there, there's something about the, the terminology that indicates there's a sense that there is a destiny. Uh, a set-apart aspect to this child's life that the mom sort of knew. Now, I imagine she wasn't the only one who tried to save their child uh, from this terrible, terrible time. Um, obviously, we know the Israelites grew massively, so I don't think that the Pharaoh's decree to throw the male children in the Nile really worked because they, they exploded in multiplication-wise. They, they grew in number even though that decree existed. But what we find here is a story that... There's a lot to learn from. God is working not only in Moses' life to change a nation, but he has his eye on all of our lives. And is going to be the maestro of the, the conductor of the great symphony of life, working to fulfill a purpose in each of our lives. And there's a great point I want us to get out of this. And this is the point I'm preaching to myself. And that point is, do your best, trust God for the rest. Or as Tony Horton says in his workout videos, do, the, do your best and forget the rest. Because you're going to trust God to handle it. So I want you to look at the story of Moses' uh, physical parents, just how faithful they were. Now, interestingly, in the text... We don't even get the names of Moses' physical parents because the hero of the story is God himself. The hero of the story is God. So we don't we we later do learn the names of, of his parents. But right here, we don't see that because God is working behind the scenes to do something amazing. And we know that God intends to use him for a very powerful uh, act and for him to inspire worlds and, and inspire nations, inspire generations. But what we have to understand is when we have done our best in any task, in any situation, in any circumstance, 
We can wait and trust that God is in control to take care of the things that we can't. And if you look closely at the story, his mom finds a little basket, little frail basket, maybe made out of papyrus, it says, and she coats it as best she can to make it waterproof. And then in her her wisdom, maybe she goes, well, maybe if I put them in the Nile, uh, at least if, I, if it gets found out, maybe the, I, they can say I, I somewhat obeyed the Pharaoh. So she didn't obey the Pharaoh, really, but she was using shrewdness and wisdom and saying, God, do something amazing. She did not know that the, the daughter of the Pharaoh would show up at exactly the right time. And notice the basket. Now, in history, we're going to talk a little bit about this. We find that Pharaoh's daughter was a famous, in time, queen of the Egyptians. And her name was Hatshepsut. And I want to share a little bit about that in a moment here. But, but you know, there's no way that Moses' mom could have understood or totally known what was going to happen. But you see all the incredible things that do happen. His sister watches. Then all of a sudden, Queen Hatshepsut, she finds the basket. And what we find in history is that this queen or this, this princess at the time was maybe 10 years old, roughly. Historians estimate she was young. She wasn't a, a full-grown woman, and yet she had the power of a princess. And that would then help us understand why when she sees the baby, it says she took compassion. She had mercy. You know, a child's heart's going to be moved greatly by a, a crying baby. Okay. So you see, God's working in these miraculous ways behind the scenes, and Moses' physical parents did what they could do to save the baby's life, right? What could they do? They hit it for three, they hit him for three months until, you know, as a child, you get older, you're crying more, you know, you're a little more, the lungs are expanding and it's going to be hard to hide the child. So she does any, all that she could do is possibly put him in the Nile as close as she can get to obeying the commands without really obeying the command of the Pharaoh, which she wanted to resist. And, in, and the scriptures teach that she defied the king's commands. In Hebrews, it says this because she did have faith by faith. She defied the king's commands, knowing that God had a plan and behind the scenes, incredible things happen. She comes down, finds it, this young, this young princess. And then lo and behold, Miriam, uh, the older sister to Moses, said, hey, uh, somehow she's able to communicate. We don't quite know how that happened. Maybe she just was had some familiarity with the princess's court. Goes over and says, hey, would you like me to find a Hebrew woman to nurse the baby? She's like, sounds like a great idea. Please do that. She goes and gets Moses' own physical mom. So she goes from from the despair of death, the despair of losing her child, to now being supported to take care of her child. And in that in that culture, uh, you know, young men, little boys and children, they would, wouldn't wean off their mom till maybe age three, four or five. We're not sure the exact time, but a number of years. So she got to raise Moses in her home, safe and secure, protected now. Went from death to protection by the Pharaoh. And then when he's old enough, she gives him over to the princess to be raised as her own. By then, she's imparted God's message and God's heart. And, and there's a deep-rooted part of him that will not be lost. And we know that scriptures talk, moms and dads, uh, about how if we entrust our children and show them the right way, that in the end, they will not turn from it. You guys know that? If we, we point them in the right direction... 
They will not turn from it. And I believe that's exactly what happened in this situation. Pharaoh's daughter, she's a great historical figure in many different ways. And I want to give you a little background on this, something very interesting. Okay, so we need to do our best and trust God for the rest. But I want to share with you a little history. This is I got to go to Egypt three years ago. And this is the, uh, the Egyptian National Museum that I got to visit. And while there, I got to go into the tomb of the mummies. And they have recently found the and, and, and uh, classified one of the mummies as Queen uh, Hatshepsut's mummy. And it turns out that she was married to her, her half-brother. And her half-brother was the pharaoh who then, he, he was unable to, they only had two daughters, uh, Hatshepsut, uh, that name's hard to say. Uh, yeah, Hatshepsut and, and the pharaoh only had two daughters, so he had another child from, um, from like a concubine. And that, that son became another pharaoh who then died fairly early on. And when he died, uh, what happened then was uh, his son was too young to assume the throne. So Hatshepsut... Uh, really became the leader of Israel. So Moses' adopted mom became the leader of Israel. I mean, not Israel, of Egypt. While Moses is growing up, and then Moses is sort of half, you know, brother-in-law, who is this, who is this younger, uh, son of his stepfather, uh, adopted stepfather, really was the Pharaoh, and, and that's the Pharaoh that is the one that got mad at Moses, we'll read about here in just a minute. Okay? So it's really interesting, the history, and I want to put something before you. Look at this right here. This is an actual picture of the mummy of Queen Hatshepsut. And I got to see that, and I took that little snapshot on my phone. So here we are, you know, in the year 2020, and this is the year 1500 B.C. What we're reading is not just fiction, that is the body, almost all archaeologists confirm, they don't have DNA evidence to prove it, because how would they know for sure, right? But all the evidence that they have says that is the actual body of the princess who became the queen of uh, the adopted mom of Moses. That's Moses' adopted mom, right there. So here we are, 3,500 years later. The Bible is not just stories, it's actual history. And so God working behind the scenes... It's not just a cool idea. It, it actually happened to change the world. And I want you guys to understand that the point I want you to get from the story is do your best in the trials of your life and in the ministry that God has put before you and trust God for the rest. Do your best. Forget the rest. Leave it in the hands of God. I know for me, one of the things I do, I, I, I wrestle over sermons like this. I want to do a great job. I, I want so desperately for it to impact people and transform people and to really help people. And yet, as I started to prepare and think about it, and I reflected on Carrie just saying, hey, one of the things I really want you to work on this year is be it, just have more peace. Don't be anxious. I started thinking, okay, this is, this is the point for me. Do your best and trust. God will work in powerful ways. And so I trust that. And I think in whatever activity you employ yourself in to serve God, whatever you do that is designed to make an impact. And I know at times we as people, we just feel like we don't match up. We don't meet up to the, to the standard, the excellence, or we don't do it as well as we'd like. 
Do your best. Trust God for the rest. There's a young man here today, really grateful for him. I was uh, in a Bible study with him yesterday, uh, or the day before yesterday, and we were talking about him. He's going to get baptized today. And uh, amen. I'm really excited about him. This is Peter Adamson. He is an awesome young man. Peter, where's Peter? Stand up, Peter. His mom still here is a part of the ministry. But in talking to Peter, his life was a wreck for quite a number of years. And he'll freely tell you that. And that is the precise time when God reaches down and says, I've got a plan for you. And what inspired me so much was he was just sharing many difficulties about raising his kids and, uh, you know, needing a place to stay. And he's staying with his mom and needing a new job. And, and things in his life were just not, those were just minor things. There were far greater, deeper issues that God had to save him out of. And God has. But then yes, uh, on Friday talking to him, he was just so filled with faith. He's like, I know my purpose in life. I know my mission from God. And I trust that he will take care of everything else. And then he proceeds to say, oh, and by the way, the apartment manager where my mom and I have been staying, he's going to open up an apartment for me to live with my kids right near my mom. Oh, and by the way, I just got a job. I start Wednesday helping to ca- work for the city, uh, really serving and meeting needs of the homeless situation in, in L.A. And I thought... This is incredible. And he, and he was just, he was like, and I, I just knew God would take care of me. And I realized as 20, 30 year old Christians, we doubt so often. We want to control so often. We don't think it's going to work out the way we want. And he was like, oh yeah, I knew God would take care of me. So I'm really fired up. Two o'clock today, Peter will be getting baptized. Let's go on in the text. Turn in your, in your Bibles to chapter 2, verse 11. I did not put this one on the screen because I do want you to get good at scrolling down. All right. You can listen, but or turn in your actual hard copy Bible. Let's read in verse 11. It says one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, looking this way and that and seeing no one. He killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. That's the one that was his like brother-in-law. Who, who had now gotten older by this point. He was older, right? And, and at, incidentally, at this point, his mom had passed out of her rule. She's close to death at this point. And so, therefore, there's risk in Moses' life because his mom, who had been the ruling pharaoh, with this younger child that had now grown up, she no longer had as much power. And so, at this point in time, there's a little political precarious and risk for Moses. Right. So obviously, once this is found out, this Pharaoh wanted to kill Moses. So Moses is afraid and thought what I did must have become known when Pharaoh heard of this. He tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now, a priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came to draw water and fill the the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away. But Moses got up and came to the rescue and watered their flock. 
When the girls returned to Ruel, their father, he asked them, why have you returned so early today? They answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? Ruel asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Okay, so Moses is raised as a prince in Pharaoh's court under the uh, protection of his mom, who is one of the leading rulers of the nation. And he learns all the customs. And really, for 40 years, there's no mention of him going to his own people to solve the problems. They were still undergoing harsh slavery. But something had told him there was a plan for him. I mean, it made sense. He knew who his, his family was. He was raised as a great leader. And we do read in Acts chapter 7, a really interesting verse where it says that when Stephen is talking about uh, what had happened uh, in the history of Moses, it says in Acts 7 verse 25, Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. And my point here is we have to trust God's timing and not our own. God's timing, not yours in life. God's timing, the call on your life, it is about God's timing and not your own. Certainly what, what happened here is very interesting politically. And we understand once this new king takes power, there's some political uh, you know, competition between Moses and he. And we don't quite know. Maybe Moses thought, well, what I'll do is I'll lead my own people out and that'll be my role. So now's the time. He thought now is the time. You know, this new king's raising up. There's some friction right there. I'm going to go visit my people and I'm going to solve some problems. And he goes and he sees them fighting and he kills one of them. Now, as a as a prince of the throne, you know, it wasn't really illegal for him to do that, although morally certainly not right. But he thought that people would rally to his side because he killed the Egyptian and he's fighting for his own people. The next day he goes back and no one had seen him do it except the guy that got got, you know, was protected by him. But what did that guy do? He texted out to his friend. Hey, you should have seen what happened yesterday. Right. And then it got spread everywhere. Word of mouth, right? In that culture, word of mouth. I mean, it spread. The whole nation knew what had happened. And they weren't saying, hey, let's rise up and fall. I'm like, hey, how dare that guy? There was a resistance to it. Oftentimes, we think God has called us for a certain purpose, and we may be right. But it's the timing that is very important. Do you trust God's timing with relationships? Do you trust God's timing with leadership? Do you trust God's timing with a job change? Do you trust God's timing? You know, as he embarked on this, he knew he was called to do something great. And all of you are called to do something great. 
But how it gets done, where it gets done, with whom it gets done, and how it all unfolds, oftentimes doesn't unfold the way we would have written the script. Because remember, God's sovereign. He's behind the scenes doing great things. He's behind the scenes. But you've got to trust God's timing and not your own. God definitely is working in a powerful way in each of your lives. He was working in, in his life, but not the way he thought. He got scared and he then escapes to Midian. He goes, OK, 40 years old. I, you know, you'd think at age 40, that's the prime of his life. And he heads out. Now, God's plan was going to wait 40 more years before he calls him. 40 more years. We're going to close out there in, in a moment here. We're going to talk about that when he's 80 years old is ultimately when he's going to get called. And I find that very interesting because, um, you know, these days they say like 80 is the new 70. 70 is the new 60. 60 is the new 50. You know, 50 is the new 40. 40 is the new 30. So I guess 80 is the new 30, right? <laughs> Moses is going to get called to lead this nation when he's 80 years old. In the meantime, he's in this land and he, he really experiences quite a few interesting things. He has to settle into this land. He has to... Uh, become a shepherd. So, you know, he goes from royalty like Jesus was royalty in heaven, right? The second of the, the Trinity. And then he becomes a man born in a manger. Moses goes from being the prince. His mom is, the, is, is really the pharaoh. And all of a sudden now he's a shepherd in a land and no one knows him. He's a shepherd. He's unknown. And God is training his character. God is working on him in a powerful way. You know, he doesn't lose his character when he had gone over there, by the way, to uh, go to this new land. And he sees, uh, you know, it turns out Ruel, who is also known as Jethro, which is his priestly name. Uh, he sees the daughters are trying to water their flock. He still has that chivalrous nature about him, right? He still has that, I'm a deliverer. In his, in his inner being, he goes, I'm a deliverer. And he saves them, right, from these other, I guess, mean shepherds who were making it hard on them to get their water. And, of course, he wins the eye of Zipporah and gets to marry her and have a child. But he has to trust God's timing. I put before us, we have to trust God's timing in our life. You've got to trust them with things in your life. I think um, so often we want to take things into our own hand. And it backfires. Uh, I know with the ministry here, uh, Carrie shared last week that we we many times wanted to um, maybe go lead a church in different places in the country. But but every time we would we would fast and pray and ask God to show us, he would do little things to demonstrate. And I, I'm grateful we didn't just impulsively move uh, because, as she shared last week, uh, several churches had asked us to go to lead them. Uh, this is like eight years ago. And um we prayed a lot about it. We're like, no, I think we just need to stay right where we are. We're living in the Inland Empire at the time. We've been there for a number of years, at least a decade. And we found out when we decided, like literally a week after we decided to stay, we found out that we were going to have full guardianship of my son, Nathan. And you can't take, you know, you can't take something you have a guardianship with um, outside of the state for more than 30 days. We, and if we hadn't moved, we wouldn't have been able to be his parents. And we didn't know this, so God was working behind the scenes so we could be parents to a young child that was going to need to be raised. So God was working. And many times in my ambition, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go there. I'm going to go there. You've got to watch your ambition. Your ambition can get in the way of God's timing. And I think with Moses, it did that. 
with me, certainly it's done that. I have lots of stories about it. But timing, trust God's timing. Amen? Let's go ahead and finish uh, this today's lesson on our calling. And I want to make one final point. I want to hit Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. What an awesome story. The ultimate calling, this is 40 years later, an 80-year-old man, a shepherd who takes the flock to the far side of this hot desert wilderness, and there he sees a bush on fire. Well, you know, actually, in that area, some bushes would light on fire because it was so hot in the Middle East certain times of year. But this one wasn't burning up completely. Maybe there's symbolism there that sometimes we're on fire, but if we don't burn up, Right. Even though we're 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 burning through trials of tough times, but we're not extinguished. Right. The Israelites went through great testing, but they weren't extinguished. Christians will go go through great trials and difficulties, but you will not be extinguished. But here's the point really I want you to see from this calling of Moses. It's this point. God appears in the ordinary. You're wondering what the calling is for your life exactly. What's your mission? What's your unique purpose? Oftentimes you're going to see the secret to that in ordinary things. He's a shepherd, unknown. He sees a bush. And God revealed himself in a bush on fire. And he notices it didn't burn up, so he goes and takes a close look at it. Our lives are designed to make a tremendous impact. But sometimes we have, you know, views of grand things that are so exciting. You can make a big movie about it because we think, you know, wow, that's, that's going to be so great for a movie script. The reality is the best movie scripts are common, everyday things that touch the heart where God is revealed. Be faithful where you are right now in your life. Moses named his first son Gershom, meaning I'm a I'm a, a foreigner in a foreign land. His second son was named Eleazar, which means my God is my help. And the and the bottom line is he got to a place where he realized even in the common area God would be his help. He surrendered to the ordinary, and then God revealed Himself. God is going to reveal Himself sometimes in ordinary people in your workplace. God is going to reveal Himself. Really through ordinary things that you see a a little miracle occur because God likes to speak through people you already know, through jobs you already have. Sometimes he speaks, speaks through church services that you've gotten so used to. They're so ordinary and you're missing the message that God has for your life. Look for God in ordinary things. And then I want to give us a final challenge. You know, as Moses came to that bush and he's got this call and God gets his attention and he says, "Okay, what's going on? And we're going to read about the great call to go to Egypt and and deliver the people. 
uh, next week. We're going to do part two. But he says, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. And when when God shows you his presence in a holy way, it's important that you honor it, that you treat it as sacred. And, and I put before you that simple, ordinary things are sacred. They're so precious. They're so valuable. Husbands and wives, when they've been apart for a long time, for when they've been separated outside of their own control, many prisoners say when, they, when they've been separated from their spouse, they, they remember the tiny imperfections of their spouse the most. That they, they long for seeing the tiny, ordinary imperfections which highlight what real love and real life is all about. We need to treat our relationships sacred. And I want to put before you, let's treat church sacred. Today's worship was awesome. Thank you guys so much for your time. And I want to give us one practical challenge that's a little bug kind of that I want us to change. You guys ready for it? God is holy. Let's be early to church on a regular basis. Amen. Let's be early to church. Let's work on that church. I know the small group leaders said they would. They raised their hand and said, I'll be here early. Thank you, small group leaders. If you've been following through with that. We can be 15 minutes early to church for this sacred place. Why? To welcome our friends who come in. To, to encourage the ordinary friends that we see every day. To make a difference. I mean, God is at work. This is holy ground. Let's treat it as such. Let's find the calling on our life from God. Amen. Love you guys. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.